I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Welcome to the first season of The June Bug. I want to take this moment to share my inspiration for The June Bug Project with you. In August of 2021, my grandmother died. She had reached the end of a decades-long battle with dementia. Her final years were marred with conflict and confusion. Naively, I thought my professional experience in hospice and end-of-life care had prepared me for the difficulties she faced. I felt empowered to be her confidant, her advocate, and most importantly to me, her ally. But in those final days, weeks, and months, I learned so much more than I could have imagined. I realized none of my education and experience could have ever prepared me for the darkness she was facing. There are so many questions I wish I had asked. So many embraces I wish I had held just a moment longer. That is why I created the Junebug Project, a collection of endeavors aimed at expanding awareness and preparedness for compassionate end-of-life care. As part of the Junebug Project, this podcast will explore real end-of-life experiences. We will gain insight on what our loved ones face in their final years. We will learn their fears, their regrets, and their most cherished moments. In our inaugural season, we are exploring the true story of a woman facing dementia and her own mortality. It will be a challenging chronicle of love, compassion, mistakes, and tragedy. But throughout this intimate epic are gems of knowledge and insight that we can all benefit from. Lessons that can teach us to provide more compassionate and loving care while also learning to live our lives more fully and more beautifully. Details in this story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 1 The Funeral Amber hues illuminate a cloudless sky above St. Joseph's Catholic Church as the cool of morning gives way to the midday heat. Smoke from Cascade Mountain wildfires drifts over Salem, 
perfuming the air with burnt pine. A hauntingly familiar scent, eliciting memories of campfires and wilderness excursions. People begin to mill about on the cobblestone piazza, dressed in black and muted tones, attire fitting for the solemn occasion, offering their condolences to one another the crowd pauses as a silver Mercedes rolls to a stop at the curbside. A tall, handsome man emerges from behind the wheel and comes to the passenger side. He opens the door and assists a frail, elderly woman from the seat and into a wheelchair. As the two slowly make their way into the church, the crowd resumes conversing. Another car parks nearby, and the small audience peers over to see who else has arrived. It's a young woman, her face covered in thick, hastily applied makeup. Her clothes unpressed and wrinkled, her hair is long and blonde, but ratty and uncombed. She is joined by her daughter, the two quietly walk through the gathering, their eyes bloodshot from tears, looking down at the cobblestones and keeping to themselves, away from the judgment of family and distant relatives. One young man lights a Macanudo cigarillo and offers others to those nearby. A handful partake while the rest of the crowd distance themselves from the pungent smoke. A woman in a long black dress emerges from a red pickup truck. Her blonde hair impeccably styled in loose curls, she gracefully enters the growing gathering, receiving mournful embraces and polite sympathies from familiar faces and strangers alike. Face masks are scattered amongst those in attendance, but the somber atmosphere of the day seems to imply a need to see one's facial expressions. So the masks gradually fall away to pockets and purses. The scent of roses and freesia pepper the air as the sun warms floral arrangements adorning the entrance of this sacred space. Today is the second Friday in August, the day of Caroline's funeral. It is a record-setting heat wave at the moment. Salem, Oregon, where Caroline spent 81 years of her life, will be an unbearable 105 degrees. Wildfires and the lingering COVID-19 pandemic combine to set a very uncomfortable stage for a funeral. This momentous day of Caroline's existence will, sadly, be lightly attended by only an intimate crowd of mourners. Thank you. Thank you. 
family will see their efforts to postpone the funeral so that more family and friends can attend only met with disappointment and half-hearted apologies. Of Caroline's 11 great-grandchildren, one will be in attendance. Of her seven grandchildren, four will arrive, but only two will see the service through to its conclusion. Caroline's children, of course, are in attendance. The surviving two, that is. In total, 27 people will be seated throughout the pews, a shameful number in comparison to the dozens of immediate family and numerous friendships that had been cultivated and nurtured over nine decades. The body has been prepared for an open casket, a decision that was hotly contested between family at the funeral home. However, Debating these unimportant details of the event was a thinly veiled attempt by all parties involved to avoid addressing the burdensome fact at hand. Caroline had died and left those closest to her confused, angry, and above all else, ashamed. Caroline's body lay in repose at the entrance of the church. Her slight frame is adorned in a black lace evening gown, one she purchased from J.C. Penney in 1963. It had hung in her closet for decades, with a yellow post-it note pinned to the dress cover. On it read, The dress I should wear at my funeral. Beside it hung another black dress with a second yellow post-it note that read, I'll wear this one if I can't fit in the first one. Peach-colored satin lining peeks through the rose lace pattern work, softening the harshness of the black against her pale skin. A demure and frail woman now, displayed to the morning, disguises one whose final years had been punctuated by fury, hatred, and ghastly accusations. This juxtaposition is partly responsible for the intimate crowd paying their respects today. This once infallible woman had driven the vast majority of those closest to her away. A once tight clan of loved ones had been driven to the fringes of their matriarch's orbit, cautious of her crushing gravity and fearfully awaiting the day when they had waited too long to make amends. Today is that day. She had been cruel hurtful and vindictive in the last years of her life. However, there is more to this story than just a bitter old person. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the Junebug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during season one, Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. 
Pre-order your copy on our website, www.thejunebug.org. The amply dispersed audience rises to their feet as the chords of How Great Thou Art echo through the nave of St. Joseph's. Large wooden doors at the back of the chapel open, and the casket enters, guided by close family. As the pallbearers process, sounds of sorrow and regret fill the air of the pews. Caroline's daughter, Margaret, sobs as she witnesses the beginning of this new stage in life without parents. She and her brother Joseph both felt orphaned, alone, and deeply remorseful for lost opportunities and truths left unsaid. Dutifully, the pallbearers guide the glimmering white and gold casket to rest in front of the altar. The dark irony of this place is not lost on any of those gathered. It is the altar where Caroline's husband, Vincent, laid in repose at his services a few years prior. It is also the very spot where the two had become the first couple ever married in the newly erected St. Joseph's in 1954. Now Caroline lays in repose at the foot of the pink marble steps leading to the altar. As the music fades away, a priest makes a blessing over the casket. Slowly making his way up the steps to the pulpit, he clears his throat and welcomes the crowd. He mumbles and murmurs incoherently into the microphone. His soft-spoken tone fades into the stone and marble walls. People look away to cell phones and pamphlets left in the church pews, disregarding the stranger in the pulpit. As the gathered begin to listen more intently to the elderly man's words, it becomes quickly apparent that he knows little or nothing of the woman who has died. He offers simple anecdotes on a good Catholic parishioner, likely the same commentary he shared at previous funerals, oblivious to the deep loss in his company. At last, aware his superficial commentary has been discovered, he relents the pulpit for the eulogy. Caroline's grandson, Philip, rises. He passes his grandmother as he ascends to the pulpit. Setting a black leather notebook on the stand, he reaches into his front pocket and retrieves an artifact. It glistens in the soft light. A delicate pearl diamond and emerald cluster in the form of a grape bushel. 
It was one of his grandmother's most loved pieces of jewelry. Philip clutches the piece of jewelry tightly in his palm as he battles the onslaught of grief and musters the courage to address those gathered. Shall we try? Those were the final words my grandmother spoke. Shall we try? I was alone with her the afternoon that she died, and she just kept repeating that phrase over and over again and straining to pull me closer. I will never know precisely what she meant, but she spoke those words with hope and not with desperation. And the one thing I do know without doubt is that she did try. She never ceased trying. My grandmother was on this earth for 91 years. She was born on a farm in the Great Plains during one of the most challenging times for the country. It was the intersection of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. And yet, somehow, this little Norwegian farm girl would go on to lead a remarkable life, a life that touched and influenced countless people, far more than could ever fit in this church and certainly far more than are here today. How did she accomplish this? She tried. She never stopped trying. Grandma came from a very large family, a family that struggled to survive at times. But instead of being burdened and settling for her circumstances, she always worked for the better. She worked hard so that she could pay for her siblings to attend college, even though she couldn't. She faithfully cared for her parents when they could not do so for themselves. Because that was her nature, to improve the lives of others, even through her own sacrifice. But when it was time for Caroline to find happiness for herself, she did so in the arms of my grandfather, Vincent. There, she found a love that was eternal, more than six decades of faithful devotion to one another. It was not without challenges and strife, but she continued to strive to be a better wife, a better companion, and a better friend, because she tried. In fact, my grandparents were the first couple wed at this very altar. Right here, they shared the happiest moment of their lives. When we were all gathered here for Grandpa's funeral a few years ago, I imagined that was what she was thinking of. Not the loss of her beloved, but the moment their lives were joined in this space. Their children witnessed firsthand how hard their mother worked to provide them 
with every opportunity she had been deprived of in her childhood. Caroline wanted a home filled with love and wonderful memories, hosting numerous holiday gatherings, Christmas Eve dinners, birthday celebrations, and so much more. The family was irreplaceable to her. She would do anything for family. She always did the best she could. She tried. There were mistakes. There were disagreements. There were resentments. Life wasn't always rosy. But Caroline, my grandmother, persisted. She tried. When grandchildren came along, she recognized the mistakes she had made as a mother, and she resolved to learn from those mistakes and be a better grandmother. And when great-grandchildren came, she did the same over again. Caroline was endlessly devoted to being a better person through her family, friends, and her devotion to this church. My grandmother literally spent thousands, thousands of hours in this very space. Many of these hours spent in the very seat where my sister, her granddaughter, is sitting right now. She never ceased working to make this world a better place. Even in the depths of her battle with dementia. I, like many of you, experienced some really dark moments during Caroline's demise to dementia. There were times when my visits would end in tears and her spouting off some horrendous, awful things at me. I would drive away, but then, mere moments after leaving, she would call. I would answer and she would be sobbing, sad and confused. She would say she didn't remember what had happened or what was said, but she knew she had said something hurtful. She would beg me for forgiveness and she would want to see me again. And then she would always say how much she loved me. You see, even in the throes of her disease, she had moments of clarity Moments when she recognized something was broken. In those moments, she would, she would attempt to pick up the pieces and fix what was broken. She grew to hate herself, to mistrust herself, and to fear that we, in turn, hated her. Her greatest fear was that she would face death alone, that our anger and resentment towards her from the past few years would dwarf the lifetime that she had devoted to us. She was terrified she would leave this life without anyone at her side. But thankfully, that fear did not come to fruition. In her final days, Grandma was surrounded by loved ones, friends, and family. In that final moment, she was comforted by the two people 
whom she loves the most, her children, Margaret and Joseph. And now she's with her other child, William. Death, death is useless, frivolous, even meaningless. If we don't learn from the life that was lived, I know that I have learned an unfathomable amount from the 34 years I shared with my grandma. She taught us everything we need to know so that we may live life fully, beautifully, and with purpose. All of that so one day, one day, we too may leave this life at peace with the lives we lived. Shall we try? Take that precious encouragement from my grandmother and love one another, be kind to one another, help one another, and most, most importantly, never stop trying. As those gathered in attendance, consoled one another, and endured the rituals of a Catholic funeral, a heavy fog of remorse hung in the rafters of St. Joseph's. Along with their love and long-forgotten admiration for the woman being laid to rest, every person in attendance shared a deep sense of regret for their final moments with Caroline. The church pianist begins Mozart's Ave Maria as the pallbearers reassume their positions flanking the casket and recede from the altar. The men guide Caroline's body from the church and on to the piazza. Afternoon sunlight beams through the haze of wildfire smoke. A golden aura engulfs the scenery outside St. Joseph's, accompanied by the scent of incense and perfumed flowers. Loved ones embrace. Shared hugs, handshakes, and bijoux denote the close of the funeral. Each person still grappling with the cacophony of conflicting emotions about the woman who is being laid to rest. Cigar smoke hangs heavy in the air as Philip smokes while he lingers until the last guest departs. Margaret makes her way to the burial site, mentally taking note of tasks and chores that need to be addressed when she returns home. Joseph busies himself with his daughters and wife, anxiously watching the clock until he returns to work. They each find ways to cope and distract themselves from the regret, the loss. How did this happen? This woman, Caroline, spent decades among the pews of St. Joseph's, cultivating friendships with parishioners and neighbors. She opened her home to loved ones and strangers alike, preparing holiday feasts, Sunday dinners, and hosting birthday parties for the neighborhood children. 
She dutifully crafted her persona over a lifetime, wanting to be the loving, outgoing, generous, and kind woman she wished her mother had been to her. A lifetime of work destroyed by a decade in the companionship of an invisible foe, an intruder who trespassed into Caroline's life, stealing away bits and pieces of her identity until all that was left was the hollow shell of a once admirable woman. The June Bug. Next week on The June Bug, we step back with Caroline to 1999. She makes a startling realization about her mental state and encounters a strange and mysterious figure for the first time. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the Junebug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the Junebug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of The Junebug.